the most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Pushkin. I'm Maeve Higgins, and this is Solvable, interviews with the world's most innovative thinkers working to solve the world's biggest problems. My name is Dixon Chibander, and my Solvable is breaking the wall of depression by training grandmothers all over the world in basic cognitive behavioral therapy so they can provide care in their communities. Dixon Chibanda is an associate professor at the University of Zimbabwe, and he's the director of the African Mental Health Research Initiative. He's also one of only 16 psychiatrists in the whole of Zimbabwe. Now, that country has a population of 13 million people. So Dixon Chibanda created the Friendship Bench. That's a place for people to seek and access therapy for mental health easily. These friendship benches are run by women in the community. They're fondly referred to as grandmothers and their work is proving hugely successful. It's even beginning to catch on around the world, with a bench popping up here in New York and also throughout Kenya. We certainly need solvables like this because mental health is a global issue. Today, an estimated 322 million people around the world live with depression. And the majority of those people are in non-Western nations. Now, mental health is fundamental to our collective and our individual ability as humans to think, to experience emotions, to interact with each other, to earn a living and really just to enjoy life. In low-income countries like Zimbabwe, where 72% of the population live below the poverty line, you can imagine that getting access to really any form of mental health therapy is not only difficult, it's nearly impossible. But that's changing thanks to today's guest, Dixon Chibanda. You'll hear how in this conversation with Jacob Weisberg. I wanted to ask you, what brought you to this problem? Well, the problem 
that I experienced, you know, as a junior psychiatrist in Zimbabwe, where I first started my work, was just, you know, quite huge. You know, just the, the sheer amount of work and the need for professionals. And I realized from a very early stage that working from a, a hospital just wasn't going to enable me to reach out to to the thousands of people that needed care, particularly for depression. And And when I lost a client of mine, Erica, through suicide, I, I realized the, the need to actually take mental health to the community. And this is how this whole concept of working with grandmothers started. You know, a need to take evidence-based mental health to the community and not just provide it within health facilities or clinics. It's been a real struggle in this country, and I'm sure there's a different version of it in Zimbabwe that you live through, but to put mental health on a par with physical health, people who will readily concede that everyone should have access to health care, sometimes think that mental health care is secondary or a luxury of some kind. Yeah, that is unfortunately uh, a problem, which is a global problem. Uh, A lot of people do not realize that by sidelining mental health, you inevitably have challenges in, uh, in addressing the physical health issues because comorbidity is kind of the norm in a lot of chronic diseases. If you think of things like hypertension or diabetes, you know, a lot of people who suffer from these chronic diseases do have comorbid mental health issues. And when you tackle just the physical and not tackle the mental health or the emotional well-being of a person, you actually do not improve the outcomes of the physical aspect as well. So it's it's very important to have a very holistic approach. This is what the work that I do is all about. You know, it's not really just about mental health, but it's ensuring that mental health results in improved outcomes of other conditions that people may have and functionality, for instance, the number of people who struggle in the workplace as a result of mental health issues. You know, again, if you address the mental health issues, you improve people's functionality. Organizations function better, companies produce better results. You know, so it's kind of endless if you think of uh, of the link of mental health with the challenges that are out there that the world is trying to to address. What type of mental and emotional issues are you dealing with? How serious? So when we first started, our focus was on what we call common mental disorders, which in essence include things like depression, anxiety disorders, PTSD. And we use an algorithm to enable us to determine the severity of the symptoms that a person presents with. And so if someone is, for instance, a red flag, someone is, for instance, suicidal, the grandmothers on the bench will refer that person to the next level. So we have these algorithms that enable us to address the needs of pretty much everyone who comes to the bench, either directly on the bench or by referring them to the next level, depending on on what it is they present with. Jackson, how did you come up with this idea of the bench? So when I first made the decision to introduce something at community level, a lot had been happening in my country. In 2005, the country went through a lot of social economic upheavals, and it was against the background of, of these upheavals that a need to introduce something at community level came. And unfortunately, because... Uh, there were no 
psychiatrists or doctors available. I was instructed to try and come up with a solution using community grandmothers. And because we couldn't use any of the buildings, we were also told, well, try and come up with something outside of the building. So it was really more of necessity, you know, and through an iterative process with the grandmothers, we eventually came up with the idea of actually delivering therapy on a bench. It was really necessitated by the fact that there was nothing, absolutely nothing. And so I, all I had were these grandmothers and the idea of doing something on a bench. So Dixon, you've seen the effectiveness of the friendship bench. Can you give us an example? Sure. Let me give you an example of Derek. Derek was a young man who was employed in the tea industry in, uh, in Zimbabwe. And uh, he was referred to the friendship bench after a third unsuccessful attempt to kill himself. And this was the first time, really, he had the opportunity to tell his story. And um, when the grandmother invited him to share his story, he suddenly had this, this overwhelming sense uh, of relief because he could really then share his story with the grandmother. And that was, in essence, the beginning of his healing Often it's simply about letting people share their stories. And after he shared his story, the grandmother worked through and enabled him to prioritize the things that needed to be done in order to help him through the challenges that he was facing. Uh, See, Derek was living with HIV and he was struggling to get his medication. He was struggling to come to terms with being HIV positive. And that was his story. And today, Derek is is still functional and he's, um, he's, he's, he's kept his job. Yeah. That is a great story. The grandmothers can't prescribe drugs, I'm assuming. What do they do with patients who are in need of some medical intervention? Well, they refer. So as I said earlier on, we have this algorithm. And based on the severity of symptoms that a client presents with, they will then refer to the next level and the next level will establish whether there's need for medication. If there's need for medication, the clinic nurse will prescribe the medication, not the grandmother, or the psychiatrist will prescribe the medication. So the entry point into Friendship Bench is a screening of basic symptoms for common mental disorders. For instance, the questionnaire will include questions related to sleep. You know, how have you been sleeping in the last week? Have you found it difficult to cope in the last week? Have you found yourself feeling tearful in the last week? Have you had thoughts of of ending your life? Those kind of questions, and depending on the number of yes responses that the grandmother gets, she will then know where to place a client, you know, whether this is a client that should receive the full friendship bench or they should immediately be referred because it's a red flag. So we try to use those categories to ensure that we really don't cause any harm to anyone through this intervention. So it's really, in essence, a stepped care kind of approach to addressing the treatment gap where the bulk of the clients are taken care of by grandmothers and those that they can't help go to the next level. 
Dixon, you said it's evidence-based. What is the evidence that you have about how the effectiveness of this compares to other more conventional forms of initial treatment? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, so in, in the world of research, the gold standard for effectiveness is what we call the, you know, the randomized trial. And so we carried out a cluster randomized controlled trial of the Friendship Bench, which is actually published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And in this cluster randomized controlled trial, we had 24 clinics that were randomized into intervention arm, which was the Friendship Bench, or usual care, which essentially is being seen by a clinic nurse or a psychiatrist or re- and um, receiving Prozac for depression. So that was one arm. And we compared the primary outcome was THQ9, which is a, a measure for depression symptoms. And we followed up clients over a six-month period. And after six months, our results showed that grandmothers were statistically much better than usual care, which include nurses and psychiatrists in alleviating symptoms of depression on the bench. You know, and so that evidence is is published. It's it's out there. Um, people can can look at it. But not only that, we have well over fifty peer reviewed publications about the Friendship Bench, how it works, and why it works. Both quantitative publications and qualitative in- publications, which describe you know the process, which describe the experience of both the grandmothers and the experience of the clients. So the evidence is quite rigorous that we have managed to put together and publish over the past couple of years. There's often stigma attached to depression, and the stigma is different in different cultures. What's it like in Zimbabwe, and how do you deal with that? So there's no difference in in Zimbabwe with regards to stigma attached to different forms of mental illness. Um, But the way we've dealt with it uh, on the friendship bench is we have avoided the medicalization or the use of clinical clinical terms to to describe uh, clients that come to the bench. The first thing that we emphasize on the friendship bench, for instance, is the desire for our team to improve a person's quality of life. And we do not refer to clients based on their diagnosis. And um, the other thing is we use local indigenous terms to describe what they're going through. Like, for instance, we would never use the word depression. Um, The term that is used on the friendship bench in my language is kufungisisa, which literally means thinking too much. And that often resonates with people when it comes to depression. When you think of the actual intervention itself on the bench, the different sessions, we use language, again, which resonates with the community, we talk about kuvurapfungwa, which literally means opening up the mind. Uh, We talk about kusimudzira, which literally means uplifting. And then we talk about kusimbisa, which is strengthening. You know, none of those terms are are medical in in whatever way you, you look at them, but they are very powerful. And 
communities resonate with those words they can identify with kuvura fungwa or or you know opening up of the mind because that's really what people want when they present their story they want to open up their mind so they can see how through that story they can get healing through that story they can get a sense of direction in terms of what needs to happen in their lives and again if you look at new york city they are pretty much doing the same thing they are not labeling people they are creating an opportunity for people to tell their stories that's wonderful and do you think that would apply as well in the developed world or is there something about traditional culture of the kind you were operating in in zimbabwe and the role of grandmothers there that makes it specially effective i think it would apply in the developed world as well what we've learned from friendship bench is that grandmothers are the custodians of uh, of local culture and wisdom and using grandmothers in any culture is a great way of connecting people and really addressing some of the issues around for instance loneliness you know so i think as i said earlier on this model works and it's kind of universal i think from what we're seeing in terms of you know the different places in the world that are using friendship bench i also wonder dixon is there something about doing this therapy out of doors as opposed to in a closed room that makes a difference to the patients see from the feedback that we get from patients doing this kind of therapy outdoors almost kind of takes away the stigma that is associated with being indoors and seeing a therapist who is formally dressed or a psychiatrist in fact the name itself you know the friendship bench just takes away the stigma when we first started you know we actually called it the mental health bench and guess what no one wanted to come to the mental health bench and uh, and the grandmothers the grandmothers advised that i change the name <laughs> change the name to friendship bench because that's what really was happening here this was about creating friendship through stories and when we changed the name you know again it's it, it took away that that clinical aspect or clinical connotations and it just became a lot more acceptable i think that one of the the powers of friendship bench whether you look at friendship bench new york city it's it's that it's outdoors which gives people that freedom to express themselves what's it like for the grandmothers first of all do they get paid and second of all do they all take to it in the same way i mean i imagine that this is the kind of work that is on the one hand very fulfilling but on the other hand very difficult including emotionally for them Yeah, it was one of our concerns, you know, a few years ago and a colleague of mine Ruth who is a clinical psychologist working on the friendship bench. She actually took it upon herself to try and look into how the grandmothers, you know, were coping with doing all this work. So that was really her her PhD topic to really look into how the grandmothers were managing to do all this our hypothesis was you know we're probably going to see a lot of these grandmothers stressed burned out and they will they will themselves have very high rates of common mental disorders but surprisingly out of a, a random sample of hundreds of grandmothers we found that the actual rates of common mental disorders amongst the grandmothers who were working on the friendship bench was much lower than the community of people who were not working on the friendship bench and we then went deeper into it to find out how this was possible 
And the themes that kept emerging from the grandmothers, you know, had a lot to do with altruism. Working on the bench for the grandmothers in their communities gave them a sense of purpose. And over the years, that sense of purpose, you know, resulted in mastery of a skill to really empower others in the community and help others in the community. And it also gave the grandmothers a sense of autonomy, which is very empowering. So in essence, the grandmothers are benefiting from this work while they help people. And are they paid and does that matter? So they do get an allowance from the city health department. I must say recently the um, the government of Zimbabwe this year, finally after a long time, decided to endorse Friendship Bench as a national program, which is now integrated in the health system of the country. So they do get an allowance, but we also get a lot of people who do Friendship Bench for free, who volunteer. For instance, we've taken Friendship Bench to schools. As you know, mental health issues are quite topical within in, in young people. In fact, young people are the most affected by depression, if you look at some of the statistics coming out of the World Health Organization. And so we've been taking Friendship Bench to universities where we're introducing a peer driven friendship bench where university students are trained to sit on the bench to provide the service to other students because Zimbabwe has one of the highest suicide rates in that part of Africa. And so we see this as an effective intervention where young people are reaching out to provide support to other young people. And again, it's all rooted in storytelling. You referred a little obliquely to what's happened in Zimbabwe, but obviously you have this devastating combination of long-term political repression with economic collapse. Has that produced special circumstances or a larger number of people in need of this kind of cognitive therapy? So... While Zimbabwe is unique in the sense that it has a lot of problems, when you look at the global burden of common mental disorders, it's not unique to Zimbabwe. The whole world is desperately in need of evidence-based interventions such as Friendship Bench that really seek to narrow or reduce the treatment gap for these conditions so that everyone everywhere has access to this much needed help. So yes, Zimbabwe has a whole lot of challenges. I mean, historically, you know, if you look at Zimbabwe, it's a country that is characterized by several generations of trauma. When you think of the right in the 18th century, the pioneer column, and then you had the Rhodesian Bush War, and then you had the massacre of more than 20,000 Debele-speaking people, you know, the farm invasions where white folks were kicked off their farms and a lot of them killed. It's just a history of tragedy. And with that history comes a need for healing. And I see the Friendship Bench as a platform providing an opportunity for healing, not only for Zimbabwe, but for the world. And as I said earlier on, people thrive through storytelling, and we all have a story to tell. And if we can leverage our ability to use these stories to facilitate 
healing. I believe that we could be moving in a direction where the world becomes a better place for all of us. And so in a small way, that's what I believe in, you know, and that's why I keep carrying on doing this work on Friendship Bench. It's not just about mental health. It's about the big picture. Dixon, you say in a small way, but not that small anymore. What's the scale of Friendship Bench now in Zimbabwe and then everywhere else? So in Zimbabwe, we are seeing thousands of people every month. I mean, in the last two years, we reached out to over 60,000 people. And we don't have accurate figures for places like Malawi, Zanzibar, and Kenya, where we've recently introduced. Uh, What we do know is Friendship Bench New York City in the Bronx and Harlem is doing extremely well, and they managed to reach out to over 80,000 people a year ago. And so I guess the numbers uh, are growing exponentially. But what I really would like to see is a situation where Friendship Bench is reaching out to millions of people across the world and also Friendship Bench being recognized as as a platform that really can enable people to open up and tell their stories in a safe environment, telling their stories so that we have healing. It's clear the idea is spreading around the world, but what's next for the Friendship Bench as a project? So as a project, we are now really looking at how we can reach our first million clients, not just, you know, in Zimbabwe, but in the different parts of the world where we've introduced Friendship Bench. We are about to introduce Friendship Bench in uh, in Rwanda. We are planning to go to Liberia. You know, we've just started in Kenya. And so what we're really working on is how to bring on board a digital component to enhance the work that the grandmothers are doing because now we're really dealing with big data. And uh, with big data, we need to to really look at how best we can learn from the data that is being collected. How can we improve Friendship Bench? How can Friendship Bench continue to serve communities? How can Friendship Bench continue to improve lives across the world? So that's really our next big challenge. And for all of that, obviously, we need uh, we need support and we are uh, we are looking for partners who can help us to to really reach every corner of the world and, and make mental health you know evidence-based mental health accessible for all well that brings me to the last question I always like to ask which is how can listeners advance this how can they get involved how can they help if you want to help friendship bench people can do is is really within themselves in their communities, Try to create space for healing. The world today is facing numerous challenges, numerous problems. You know, on the one hand, we have all this technological development. You know, we've done so well technologically as a a human race. But when you look at relationships, it's going the other direction. And one simple thing that we could all do is is try to create space for healing in our communities. Try to create space to listen to the stories that our neighbors have, the people in our neighborhood have, people in our communities. You don't have to be a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist to make a difference in your community. You simply have to be able to give space for people to share their stories, and you have to listen. 
and that in itself is very very powerful and and of course as as French bench we we want to take French bench to every corner of the world and so so we're very happy to work with people to collaborate with people who feel that a French bench in their community or in their organization could help address uh, mental health challenges or just generally improve the quality of life and make the world a better place. Dixon Chibanda, thanks for joining us on Solvable. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Wow. Shikhar Sazina, he's the director of the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse at the World Health Organization, said when it comes to mental health, we are all developing countries. And that really stayed with me. And I think that this episode has been such a fitting last episode of this season of Salvable. Because communicating, talking, sharing, these are all proven to potentially keep hopelessness at bay. And it's been such a privilege for me, and I hope for you too, to hear from all of our guests. Each one of them a leading thinker, a leading doer. Each one of them with their own solvable, and each one of them taking actions every day to solve the world's biggest problems. Thank you so much to them. And thank you too to our brilliant presenters over this series. Jacob Weisberg, Malcolm Gladwell, Anne Applebaum and Ahmed Ali Akbar. And remember, you can hear all 30 episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And you can learn more about solving today's biggest problems at rockefellerfoundation.org slash solvable. We will be back with more inspiring conversations with brilliant problem solvers in 2020. I'm Maeve Higgins. Now go solve it. Solvable is a collaboration between Pushkin Industries and the Rockefeller Foundation. Produced by Laura Hyde, Hester Kant, Laura Sheeter and Ruth Barnes of Talk and Blade. Pushkin's executive producer is Mia LaBelle. Engineering by Jason Gambrell and the great folks at GSI Studios. Research by Cher Vincent. Original music composed by Pascal Wise. And special thanks to everybody at Pushkin, including Maya Koenig, Maggie Taylor, Heather Fain, Julia Barton and Carly Migliori. And to Christine Heaton, Rachel Roberts, Sierra Remersheed and Rajiv Shah at the Rockefeller Foundation for making this series possible. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. 